Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and to our midweek service here on March 24th. We're glad that you tuned in and we pray that we'll be a blessing to you. And uh, you can be a blessing as well. If you will go to our website at gracewayokc.org, uh, you can go in there and download the newsletter and pray for people and be aware of announcements, things that are going on. And um, you can be praying about those things and then participate in them as well. Participate in the giving. And thank you for your giving, by the way. You can participate in the events because um, you make them worthwhile. And whether it's something for the children or something for the youth or something for adults, it's a very good thing. We do those things, of course, to honor and glorify the Lord, but we also do it so that we can encourage and equip you as well. And uh, we don't really like to... Um, you know, do those things without an audience. So we uh, hope you'll be involved. We're going to be uh, doing something that we were not able to do last year. We are going to meet on Good Friday and uh, we'll watch the video that we watched, Christ in the Passover. Some of you haven't seen that and uh, many of you have, but you get blessed every year. About the time I think I'm uh, tired of doing that, somebody tells me just how meaningful it is to them. So as long as it blesses you, we'll keep doing it. And we'll do the Lord's Supper that night as well. And uh, that will help us get ready for Easter, which is on April 4th this year. And uh, time in 2021 is just flying, isn't it? And uh, so uh, we uh, pray that you will be blessed and that um, all of these things that we do and that we plan will be something you'll be interested in and that you'll certainly pray for and uh, will support. Okay, uh, what are we looking at this week? We finished up Psalm 137 last week. Let's go to Psalm 6, back toward the very beginning of it. And I've entitled this message, we're going to look at three verses. I'm actually going to read the entire Psalm first but then we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 3. I've called it, it's not original, the high cost of low living. The high cost of low living. Why did I say that? Well, it's obvious as you read this psalm that David has done something that the Lord is not pleased with. Don't know what it is. Nobody does. Don't know what the circumstances are. Nobody does. It doesn't go into that kind of detail. It doesn't give us anything like that. But there are some clues as we read through this that uh, this is about David's sin. Before I read the scripture, I want to make a statement to make sure we all understand this. You can have suffering without sin in your life. Now, I know that there are people on TV and other places they kind of give you the idea that if you've got anything wrong in your life, if you've got any kind of suffering, it's because of sin or lack of faith or something like that. No, we live in a fallen world, and Jesus promised us, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Remember that? That is a promise from God. You can count on it. When you think about the first chapter of Job, and you read about him 
he's an upright man and all of that, and yet the suffering he had was horrendous. And think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody has ever suffered like Jesus Christ did, and yet he did it without sin. Well, that ought to settle it. Even living in this life, just because bad things happen, just because painful things happen, just because hurtful things happen, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've sinned. Now, let me also say, you probably have, right? Most likely, there is something that needs to be corrected, but it's not necessarily so. However, the other half of this statement, but you cannot have sin without suffering. As a new creature in Christ, you're made for holiness. You're made to honor and to glorify God. You're an ambassador for Christ. You are a son or daughter of the Lord. You're an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ. And so you're not going to have sin in your life without having some suffering, okay? So get this. You can have suffering in your life without sin, but you cannot have sin in your life without suffering. Now, I didn't say what the suffering is going to be. I don't know. It may be mental, emotional, something like that, or it may be very physical. David addresses both in this particular psalm. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. So open your Bibles and read along with me, but we're going to read the entire psalm. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Verse 6, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication, and the Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. David, not a happy camper at this point. David's got some problems. And you can tell as you read through that, he's got problems from without. He mentions enemies. He mentions trouble. He mentions even physical things that are going on. His eyes failing, his bones, all of that type of stuff. But he's also got some 
very internal spiritual things. He says that his soul is troubled. What is your soul? You know, we tend to think of the soul as this part of us that is immaterial, and that's true. But we also think of the soul as just kind of being this uh, weird thing that just sort of floats around and, you know, doesn't really do anything. It's just our soul. That's not really true. The soul is the real you. Scripture tells us in the book of Genesis about Adam. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he, Adam, became a living soul. In other words, as I heard a preacher say when I was a kid, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You are a soul. And the soul is the real you. This part that you are seeing is not really the real you. It's your earth suit. It's, Paul called it a temporary tent that you live in while you were here on earth. And um, when we think about the soul and the soul being troubled, think about this. The soul makes up your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so David is troubled in that part of him that thinks, that feels, and that chooses. And he is all messed up. Something's out of kelter. Something's not right. Something is not functioning properly. And it is messing up every part of David's life to the point that he spends his nights weeping. Remember in Psalm 30, it says, weeping may endure for the night. Have you ever had a night like that? Have you ever had a time when all you could do was weep and pour out your heart before God? Now, some of you, you may cry and weep more easily than others. I don't weep easily at all. It's just not anything that comes naturally to me. But um, I can and I uh, can imagine some situations that might bring that into my life very readily. And um, you probably can too. And David is someone who is pretty free with his emotions. You can see that all through the Psalms. You can see that when you read about his life. David is very passionate. David feels everything very, very, very deeply. I think it's what makes him such a wonderful poet and songwriter. Uh, it also made him a great king. He could empathize and sympathize with people and with their situations. And if he took up a cause, he believed in it, and he believed in it very strongly. Um, I may be wrong about this, but I believe it was when David was young, junior high age, and he went to uh, confront Goliath It's in that time period, that he says, is there not a cause? The soldiers of Israel were backing down from Goliath, and David just couldn't do it. Whatever it was going to take, he was going to confront Goliath and do it in the name of the Lord. Um, that was the passion that he had. It also kind of led to his sin, didn't it? Led to his downfall. There was a lot of, uh, of passion, I suppose you would say, when it came to his lust for Bathsheba and uh, what that led to. And then his desire to cover all of it up ended in the murder of Uriah the Hittite. I mean, whatever David did, boy, he did it because he felt it 
and he did it with everything that he had, good or bad, right or wrong. It's just the kind of person that he was. And he sort of expresses that even as uh, he goes through this psalm. Uh, he doesn't just say, oh, I feel bad. He weeps to the point that it drenches his very bed. He cannot sleep, and uh, he is sorrowful about everything that goes on. Now, let's break this down. Three verses. Let's break them down. First of all, notice the reason for David's distress. Oh, Lord, do not, and you might want to circle the word, rebuke me. What is a rebuke? That is somebody that is confronting you. That's a word of confrontation. It means you're wrong, or at least they think you're wrong. Well, in this case, if the Lord is going to rebuke you, the Lord is never wrong because he knows everything. And so the rebuke of the Lord tells you that David was doing something or involved in something that the Lord was not pleased with, sin. Do not rebuke, you, rebuke me. Uh, now notice the next thing, in your anger. You might want to circle the word anger. Why would the Lord be angry? Why would the, David be concerned about the anger of the Lord? Well, only one reason, God was displeased. David had sinned. Um, nor, circle the next word, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. What is a chastening? That is the Lord when he corrects his children. Again, pointing to the fact that David was wrong. And then that last word, displeasure. Why would the Lord have displeasure in David? Because David was living in unconfessed, unrepented of sin. Now, I don't know what it was. And I don't know what the situation was. But whatever it was, it had been some time it was having an effect on David, and David was kind of like maybe we are. Um, he didn't really want to repent of this sin. Now, why did he not want to repent of the sin? I don't know. But I'm going to make some guesses. There's a human condition that whenever we're confronted with something that we're doing wrong, that causes us to want to grow defensive. We defend who we are. We defend what we have done. It, it's very rare that somebody says, you're doing that wrong, and our first reaction is, oh, well, what's the right way to do it? Usually, and so many times, we get defensive. In fact, sometimes we dig in, or as they say, we double down, and we're going to figure out a way to make this work. I remember... Uh, when Sammy and I were dating, everything was fine because uh, she really didn't confront anything or say anything much. She just kind of went along for the ride. But as soon as we got engaged, something changed. And we would, uh, she started criticizing my driving is what happened. And um, she would point out things that I already knew and um, there'd be times when we'd be pulling out of a parking lot and she would say, it'd be quicker if you'd turn right. You know what I would do? I would just about drive to Toronto before I would turn right. I mean, I'm going to prove to her that I know what I'm doing. And man, did it ever frustrate me when I would find out 
that she was right, which was most of the time. I think that is a human condition. And so David needed a rebuke. He probably already knew that he was wrong, but he wasn't ready to admit it yet. He wasn't ready to do anything about it. And so the Lord did what he does to all that he loves. He began to chasten David. And so the consequences that came were really, really rough. So David was doing something wrong and change was necessary. So the word chasten is in there and uh, rebuke and um, anger and displeasure, those kind of things. Now, notice that he does not ask for immunity from judgment, but for the tempering of God's discipline with mercy. David knows he's wrong, and David knows he's getting what he deserves. So he's not going to be a fool and say, this is too hard, and I don't deserve this. He knows that. He's just saying, Lord, do it in a merciful and kind and a more gentle way. I've suffered enough. I get it. I know where, what you're saying now, and I'm ready to repent of this sin. Okay? Number two, the only relief for sin's consequences. Sin always has consequences, doesn't it? You reap what you sow. So he says, have mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Now, the only reason you ask for mercy is because things are getting uh, too intense for you. Lighten up, Lord, please, is what David is saying. But understand this, any mercy that the Lord gives is undeserved mercy, isn't it? The Lord always lets the punishment fit the crime because he knows what we did, when we did it, how we did it, and of course why we did it, right? He's never caught off guard. He is never in a situation where he needed more facts, more information. This is not a judge who sits there and uh, all of a sudden they bring in a new witness that gives some new information that changes what the judge has been thinking. God never has to do that because he's an all-knowing God. So whatever David is getting here is what David deserves. Probably he deserves more than he's getting. I would imagine he's already getting the mercy of the Lord, but he's pleading for more. Please give me your undeserved mercy. And that's the only way that we're going to get out of the consequences of sin, is the mercy of the Lord. Um, Spurgeon said one time that whenever I sin... May there be, when I want to sin, may there be no opportunity. And when there's opportunity, may there be no desire. Well, that's the mercy of God, isn't it? And when we think about what we have done and how we sin and how often that we sin and what God could do, what God could do to us and bring into our lives, then we understand just how kind and merciful he is. He's not going to overlook it. He's not going to let it go because he loves you and because he's not going to let you stay the way you are. And he's not going to allow you to continue in sin uh, 
indefinitely because the consequences of the sin, not to mention God's chastisement, but even just of the sin, are going to destroy you. And so God in love has made a way through his discipline to cause you and me, like David, to come to the place to where we go, this is not worth it anymore. This is no fun anymore. The book of Hebrews talks about the passing pleasures of sin. Uh, there's a season to where sin is fun. That's why we do it. But there comes a point to where it's not fun anymore and the consequences are uh, not what we want. We've said before so many times, sin will take you where you never intended to go, cost you more than you intended to pay, and leave you longer than you ever intended to stay. That's just the way it is. And the only way out is God. And God having mercy upon us. And why would he have mercy upon us? Because he loves us. We're his children, and Christ has already paid for our sins. So this is not so much a punishment. That was put on Christ on the cross. This is a correction, a father correcting his child. I've raised three children into adulthood, and one of the ways that I found out that my children would be corrected and learn something was let them suffer the consequences of their decisions. Let them suffer the consequences of what it is they wanted to do. Of course you do that within reason, but sometimes you let them make a decision that you know is wrong. You warn them, you try to guide them the right way, but especially when they're teenagers and that type of stuff, they're just you know, bent on doing what they want to do. Sometimes you have to just let them and tell them that whenever this and this and this happens, you're the one that's going to be responsible for it because this is your choice. Now, um, I probably never did that to the degree that they thought I was because a lot of times I would help them out even, you know, though they had made a bad decision but they learned from the bad decisions, from the consequences. You know, God is the same way. There are those times when you and I, we know what we ought to do and we decide not to do it, and God allows it because he's teaching us. We've got to learn our lesson. And the only way out of the consequences of sin is to cry out to the Lord for his mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord, verse 2 says. Number three. The restoration that is available. For I am weak, O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled, and my soul also is greatly troubled. That can also be translated, my soul is in anguish. Boy, there's a strong descriptive word, anguish. Horrible thing whenever anything in your life can be described as anguished. And so this unconfessed sin, well, it affected him Physically, the bones are mentioned in there. Mentally, emotionally, his decision-making was off. You don't want a king who's living like this, feeling like this, thinking like this to make a judgment because he's probably going to be wrong in his judgment and in his assessment. And also in relationships, 
Sin just affects every single part of our lives. And he was so physically weak that he was faint, suffering loss of energy, drive, and ambition. Knowing that he deserved what he was receiving from God, David asked for mercy, not justice. Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? For mercy, not justice. He asked for the undeserved relief and tender compassion of the Lord in the midst of his misery. Why would he do that? Because, folks, God is a, not only a loving God, he's a forgiving God, and he's also a restoring God. He talks about in the Bible that he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He talks about bringing beauty for ashes and making everything beautiful in its time. As scarred and as messed up as it might be, in its time, it becomes beautiful. Did you know the same is true for your life? God will forgive and God can relieve the stress and the pain and the chastisement that you are under. And you may carry the scar the rest of your life. I've got a scar on my finger right there where um, I about cut it off with a hatchet one time. And uh, it doesn't hurt anymore, but it's a reminder of that time when I did something and I was, I was very careless in what I did. And uh, man, did it ever hurt. It's a reminder not to do that again. Sometimes God takes away scars. Sometimes he leaves them as a reminder to you and to others. Don't ever do that again. You don't want it happening. But God is a healer. And God is the one who can put things back together. And he can bring joy into your life again, into your heart again, into your situation again, if you will turn to him. You see, David was having anguish of soul in his mind, his will, and his emotions. Everything was affected by all of that, and he needed relief. You know, Jesus said in Matthew, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. You know, we tend to think that that's just for lost people, but I found even as a Christian all these years, I still need to go to Jesus and find rest for my soul, to be reminded of his love, to be reminded of my heritage, to be reminded of the word of God and the promises of God, to be reminded of his presence, to be reminded of his tender care, to be reminded of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. All of that is so important as we live in a troubled world and we face troubled times and we go through things we never saw coming, some of them deserved and some of them not so deserved, but nonetheless, we're in them and God cares and God loves you and God will see you through it and God will have his purpose and his way worked out in it and God will also be the one that is your healer and your restorer. Number four, notice the request of a weary soul. David is worn out. 
He's at the end of his rope and he doesn't even have enough strength to tie a knot and hang on. He's at the end. But you, O oh Lord, how long? You ever ask that question? How long? When? Now, sometimes that can be a little kid gets in the car and it's a car trip, a long trip, a vacation, going to see grandma or something like that. And they ask the question, are we there yet? You know what they're really saying? How long is this going to take? They're bored. They're tired. They don't want to be in the car anymore. Do you know, uh, adults ask that question as well. We get into situations and say, how long is this valley? How long am I going to be in the desert? Well, as long as you need to be, as long as God's plan and purpose is there. You see, in the Psalms, it talks about in the valley of Baca, digging wells. Well, that was a desert area. You know what uh, it was making reference to? If I've got to go through this dry desert, I might as well dig a well because somebody's going to come along behind me. It might be my son or my daughter or my grandkids. It might be a total stranger. I don't know. But my job is to dig a well here in the desert so that other people don't have to be as thirsty as I am. To be a blessing to them, loving my neighbor as I love myself. Um, when I think about the time that I go through those things, I might dig the well and go on and say, oh, Lord, is that enough? I'm ready to get out of the desert now. I'm ready to get out of the valley of the shadow of death now. All of that, we say, how long? In fact, it's used 16 times in the Psalms, and it expresses the anguish of a, re uh, of a weary soul seeking comfort from God. How long? How long, O oh Lord? Well, God understands, and he's got his eye on the clock, and he won't keep you there one second longer than is necessary. And if you're there, it's necessary. And he's got his purpose, and he is doing something in your life that you can't understand because you don't have the capacity to understand, but he knows. This tells us David's situation had been going on for a long time. We don't know how long. But it's been a lengthy period of time. He is absolutely worn out. It had worn him down. This is the situation that is described in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or children? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son that he receives. Boy, this is just so important that the Lord gives special attention to his kids, just like you do. You may not notice the neighbor kid unless they do something really, really wrong, but you notice your kid even when what they do is just a minor thing. Well, the Lord pays special attention to his children. And the Lord will be as severe, and the duration will be as long as necessary, so that you don't take it lightly. You know, if the Lord sees and knows that you're not really thinking about all of this, he'll leave you in it for a while. 
until you get to the point where you're never going to forget it. And the Lord disciplines out of love. He's doing it for your good, and he's doing it because he loves you, and the Lord is helping you. He's not hurting you. We think sometimes he's about to kill us. It feels like all we're getting is the raw end of the deal. But the scripture assures us it's all done out of love. And it's part of the Romans 8:28. even the discipline, all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. He knows what he's doing and he's doing it out of love. And you're going to be a better person when you're finished. So that's uh, what we're covering tonight. We'll look at the other verses. I know that as we read through that whole thing, there are some verses that are kind of intriguing. We'll talk about them when we get to them. But in the meantime, if you're not right with God, get right with God. If you've got unconfessed sin in your life, confess it to the Lord because 1 John 1, 9 is still in effect and the Lord will cleanse you of sin. And because Jesus died on the cross, that sin is already paid for. Why are you living in a sin that you don't have to live in and suffering consequences you don't have to suffer? Get right with God and God will bless you. God will restore you. God loves you and God is working in your life whether you realize it or not. Thank you for your time and I pray that the Lord will bless you and that he will enable you to see that his chastisement is an expression of his love. May the Lord be glorified in you. God bless you.